Well, it is certainly looking a lot like Christmas around here, and we are so glad that uh, we can be celebrating Christmas together, and we're so glad that you've chosen to be with us this weekend. We have been talking, if you've been tuning in with us or attending here on our back patio, we've been talking about our Christmas offering uh, for the last several weeks, and we have a Christmas offering goal that uh, every year is about 25% of our offering revenue that we count on coming in in the month of December. And praise God, over the last several years, you and your generosity, we've met those goals and we've been able to fuel ministry throughout our calendar year. As a matter of fact, every year, one of the hallmarks of our Christmas offering is the fact that we uh, pay for or actually um, give the support to all of our partnered missionaries around the world, those individuals we support, we pay them in the month of January for the entire year so that they can count on our support. And that's one of the hallmarks of this offering every year as it is this year. Well, this year we have a goal of $2.1 million for our Christmas offering. That's a $1.6 million general fund offering as well as a $500,000 generations goal where we're completing the build out of our special abilities ministry wing that we are excited will be done probably in the next week or so, the interior space of it, and hopefully soon folks can be able to see it as we use that wonderful ministry tool. Well, I'm happy to report to you that this week, we stand at over $1.1 million received thus far in the month of December. Praise God and thank you. That represents about 55% of this offering goal. And you can see that on this chart that we've been showing you and we'll continue to show you throughout the year, the calendar year here. We're about 55% of the way there. You can see what's remaining, a little over $900,000. Praise God and we continue to just be grateful to you and your generosity and continue to ask you to pray what God would have you to do in our Christmas offering season. Well, as usual, I mentioned to you our ways to give. Uh, you can see that the ways to give are, are our normal ways to give. Of course, we have offering boxes around campus. And those of you that will be here on Christmas Eve, those boxes are, are going to be in those normal locations. And of course, you can give online. Uh, the easiest way to give digitally is through our Calvary Westlake app. You download that app. It's a one-time setup, and that's the easiest way for you to give. And of course, you can mail things to us, mail checks to us. Uh, they need to be postmarked by the 31st, of course, for tax reasons. If you have any questions at all about the Christmas offering and any of the gifts that you might uh, be thinking about, you can call myself or Rick Fusilier here at the office. Our information is on calvarywestlake.org give. Thank you again so much for your generosity. Well, I want to give you another update. Uh, last weekend, if you were with us, we spoke about Pastor Sean and, and a little bit of a bump in the road he's had with his health. And I'll give you a little bit of an update. Uh, he is at home. He's been at home for a week now, uh, recuperating. He has pneumonia, uh, and it's, he's improving daily with that. Um, it's a non-COVID-related bacterial infection. Uh, he's home and doing well. He's walking around, doing all the things that uh, his doctors are telling him to do. As a matter of fact, in the last couple of days, he's said to me that he can tell his breathing is improving, and he really appreciates your prayers as he continues to recover. And uh, leadership here, the elders have asked Sean just to, hey, take the year, the rest of the year off and recuperate, and uh, he'll be back with us in a few weeks. And of course, we are in the very capable hands of Pastor Brian Howard as he shares with us again this weekend in our sermon series, Hope is Here. 
Well, thank you, Pastor Troy. And of course, we are praying for Pastor Sean. And as you continue to pray for Pastor Sean and his recovery, uh, I wanna start the sermon off by actually giving you another name that you can add to your prayer list uh, as we go forward into this week of Christmas. And that name is a name that'll be familiar to those of you who have been around Calvary for a while. It's the name of a friend of our church named Johnny Erickson Tata. Um, this morning, we learned that Johnny Erickson Tata has tested positive for COVID-19. And, and their team reached out and we've been able to pray with them. But we wanna ask you to be praying for Johnny Erickson Tata. Uh, many of you will recognize Johnny and friends, an incredible ministry that we've worked with for a long time, working with those with special needs. And here are Special Abilities Ministry. It's been a wonderful partner. Uh, and Johnny has been a wonderful friend to Calvary. Many of you know her, you've heard her heart um, for the gospel, for the things of the Lord. And so I wanna invite you to pray and I wanna pray, pause and pray right now uh, that us as a church would lift up Johnny Erickson Tata right now uh, with this diagnosis. We're just praying for God's speedy healing for her as we go forward. Let's pause and pray right now. Father in heaven, we confess um, today that you are the great healer. You are the creator. You are the sustainer of all things. And so God, right now, I wanna pray for Johnny Erickson Tata. I wanna pray for her health. I wanna pray for what happens next. Father, I pray for the doctors and nurses and professionals who will help make decisions as she goes forward. Would you give her peace? Would you give her comfort? But above all, God, we pray healing and protection. God, we know that you can and we believe that you will and we trust you with this dear woman's life and her health as she moves forward um, with this diagnosis. God, we pray for her. God, we continue to pray for Pastor Sean as he continues to recover and heal. And Father, right now as I'm praying, I'm just moved to pray even for those healthcare professionals, doctors and nurses and those who are working with all sorts of things right now. We know this is a heavy season for them right now. And so for all involved, God, for all of the names I just listed, would you bring peace? Would you bring strength? Would you bring comfort? God, we pray that we would remember them in our prayers, that we might be in this struggle with them. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for praying with me, and we'll give you updates as we're able that you would continue to pray uh, for Johnny Erickson Tata. And so today, as we turn our attention to the scriptures, I'd love for you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be today as we continue our, our teaching series called Hope is Here. Uh, and I want to try to encourage you a little bit through Luke chapter 1 today. But I want to begin with a question, and the question I want to ask you today is this. It's this, what if God wants to use you? to bring hope into a weary world. When we were singing earlier, this weary world rejoices, that, that phrase has just stuck out to me this year and it probably has stuck out to you. The world is weary, people are exhausted, people are overwhelmed with everything going on in this world. And the question I want us to ponder is not, could hope get to a weary world, but what if God wants to use you? What if God wants to use me? What if God has a particular role for you in this season to bring hope to a world that is desperately in need of it? See, I really believe God uses people and I really believe God uses a specific type of person who, who use, God uses them to, to bring hope and to bring healing into this world. I used to kind of be of the belief though that, that, that when, when God used someone and God used someone in a mighty way, that it was kind of random. I don't know where I got this. Maybe it was I just kind of saw people throughout the Bible and they seemed to be kind of not the person you would expect. So I thought God just randomly picked people to use in spectacular ways. 
But the more I've studied the scripture and the more I've thought about the people in world history that God's used in mighty ways, the more I realize that it's not random. The more I realize the truth that you actually see articulated in First Chronicles 16, 9, it says this. It says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support for those whose heart is blameless toward him. Like in other words, there's a type of person that God wants to use to bring hope to a weary world. There's a type of person God wants to use to make a difference in the world when that difference is needed the most. I want to talk to you about that kind of person today. I want to talk about how you can be that type of person today. I want to talk about how God might use you in a spectacular way in a moment like this where the world needs it more than ever. We'll see this in Luke chapter 1 and we'll begin in verse 26 if you have your Bible open in front of you. It begins this way. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. So we begin to understand the story here and we're gonna ultimately see the story uh, of an angel appearing to Mary and announcing a plan that God has for her life. But it begins and Luke sets the scene for us and it tells us that God is gonna send an angel Gabriel to Nazareth. Nazareth is a real place, you could go there today. It's the real place where Jesus grew up. But I want you to notice what Luke feels the need to say. He says it's Nazareth, a town in Galilee. In other words, what I want to try to point out to you here is that this phrase, a town in Galilee, is not a throwaway phrase that Luke is randomly throwing in there, but it's a phrase that gives helpful context to the people who first heard this. And here's why. Because the people who first heard this gospel had probably never heard of Nazareth, but they had heard of Galilee. So what Luke is trying to say is, listen, this happened in Galilee. You've heard of Galilee. It's a town within there. It's the same type of context that you and I use when we travel, right? If I'm here in town and someone asks, where do you live? I'll say, oh, I live over in Thousand Oaks. I live right by the high school. But if I've traveled out of the state, if I travel to another part of the country, I'm not gonna tell people I live near the high school, right? I'm gonna tell them I live in Thousand Oaks. And if they go, where is Thousand Oaks? I'll say, it's a city outside of Los Angeles because everyone knows where Los Angeles is but no one knows where Thousand Oaks is. It's the same here. Everyone in the ancient world who was reading this knew where the Galilee was. No one had ever heard of Nazareth. And I'm lingering on this point because I want to point out that no one had ever heard of the place where Mary came out of. Like in other words, no one had heard of this place. No one cared about this place. No one thought anyone special would come out of this place. There were big famous cities in the ancient world from Rome to Jerusalem, But God is doing his great work and God is bringing hope into the world, not through some spectacular city that is huge in global history, but rather through Nazareth, which has to even be given the context of a town in Galilee for people to even know where it's from. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, where Paul writes that God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. Like, here's what our God delights in doing. God delights in doing spectacular things through unspectacular times and places. God loves to come into a place like Nazareth that no one's ever heard of and to bring the savior of the world, to announce hope to every nation. Let me put it this way to you this weekend, that God uses someone from an unknown place to bring hope to a weary world. 
God uses someone from an unknown place that no one had ever heard of. And I think to the person who goes, how could God use me? I don't come from a great family. I don't come from a great lineage. I don't have a great background or history. I love the story of Mary because there's an unknown place named Nazareth and God shows up there to announce hope into a weary world. It it continues on this way in verse 27. It says this announcement that is happening here in Nazareth happens to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. So this is Mary, and this is going to be ultimately the woman who carries Jesus and gives birth to the Savior of the world. And there's a lot said about Mary and a lot taught about Mary, but when it comes to actually Mary's background and where she comes from and what she's like, we don't actually know a ton in the scriptures. But here's what we do know. What we do know is that in Jewish culture at that time, it would not be unusual for someone to betroth, be pledged to be married, to be betrothed to be married as early as the age of 12. And so that's not to suggest that Mary is 12 in this scene, but it is to suggest that it wouldn't be unusual for Mary to have been a teenager. At the very least, here's what we can clearly say. Mary isn't powerful, Mary isn't strong, Mary isn't well-known, Mary isn't spectacular by worldly standards. And yet, here's what the Christmas story starts with. The Christmas story starts with this, that God used an unexpected person to bring hope to a weary world. And I think that's a beautiful thing for you to linger on. Like, would God wanna use you in a specific way in late 2020 to bring hope into this world? And for most people, even people who love Jesus, the answer is, how could God use someone like me? I don't have a following. I'm not in charge of a business. I'm not in charge of a political party. I don't have power. I don't have money. I've got nothing. And yet I want to remind you that this is the story of God using an unexpected person that no one thought God would possibly use. And I'd like to further remind you that that seems to be the entire pattern throughout the Bible. Throughout the Bible, God seems to use people. He uses Abraham and Moses and David and the disciples, all of these people who no one had ever heard of before God got a hold of their life and used them in a particular way, in a particular season, to bring hope and salvation into the world. Listen, God used an unexpected person from an unexpected place to do unexpected things in this world. And I want to encourage you that he can do the exact same thing through your life and through mine today. And I want to show you how it goes on this way in verse 28. It says, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. So I want to pause and linger on on the question, and and, and here's the question I want us thinking about. This angel approaches Mary, and and I want us to think about how the angel is describing Mary in this moment. It says, the angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. An angel has a singular job, and it's not to speak for the angel's self. It's to speak for God. Gabriel's job in this moment is not to speak for himself. It is to speak for God. And so ultimately, what he communicates to Mary is what God thinks of Mary. And here's what I want you to see. I want you to see what God thinks of Mary. There's two things that are announced here, two things that are announced about Mary in this text that I want you to linger on. The first is that it says twice that you are highly favored. You have found the favor of God. 
And sometimes when we hear that, it kind of feels like it's cloaked in religious language. And so favor seems to be this word that just seems really unreachable to us. Like how do we have the favor of God? And I think the favor of God can be understood in a lot of ways, but one of the most simple ways I've found to articulate the favor of God is that sometimes we think God loves us in the way we think we use love in our culture where you can kind of love someone but not really like being around them. But I've actually found that the word favor indicates that there's actually a delight that God has in this individual. There's a delight that God has in interacting with Mary. So here's what I might say about Mary. What does God think of Mary? He has favor for her. He, he says, I really like her. Like I like her a lot. I wanna be around her. I enjoy her. I know her. I care about her. When she talks to me and me to her, I really like it. What does God think of Mary? I really like her. And then what does he say right after that? He says, the Lord is with you. In other words, I really like her and I'm with her no matter what. I'm with her no matter what. Like here's the announcement today. This is Mary. That this is Mary who is going to have the savior of the world. God is going to use this unexpected woman from an unexpected place to do miraculous things in this world, to bring hope into the world, salvation to our souls. And where does it begin? It begins not with what God is telling Mary to do. It's what, it begins with what God thinks and announces to be true about Mary. He really likes Mary and he's with her no matter what. Now here's the danger. The, the danger is that a lot of times when, when people like you and me read scripture, we read about Mary and we go, okay, well, God really likes Mary and God's with Mary no matter what. And that's good for Mary, but what does that have to do with me? And what that reveals sometimes in us is that we read the scriptures and we read about real human beings in the Bible, but we think about them as if they're not really human beings who are just like us. We think about them as there's some kind of other human, maybe some kind of superhuman being. I've been thinking about it this way lately. I think a lot of people, when they read about individuals in the Bible who interact with God and have these miraculous moments with God, I think we think of them the way we think about the Avengers. And now I know not everyone's seen the Avengers, but if you've seen some of these superhero movies, there's all of these superheroes in the movies. And they have some special abilities. They're super strong or they can jump super high. They have powers within them. And so a lot of them look like human beings. But when we watch the movie, we recognize that I'll never really be like this individual. Or it's like Superman for some of you. Like Superman looks like us, but we know he has powers and he's a different kind of person than we are. And while that might be true for the Avengers or for Superman or for superhero movies, I need to remind us that when we read about people in the Bible, we're not reading about some other kind of people. We're not reading about some different breed of humans, some super set, some super class of people. We're reading about human beings just like us. And here's what I believe. I believe God announces over Mary, I really like her and I'm with her no matter what. And I don't think it's because Mary's special. I think it's because this is telling us something about God and how he sees his children. Can I tell you what I think God thinks of you? Here's what God thinks of you. God says this, I really like you. Like God's favor is on you. His blessing is on you. It's not that just God loves you in some vague theoretical way. It's that God loves when you interact with him. He loves when you think about him, worship him, spend time with him. God really likes you and God is with you. No matter what, the great promise of the Bible is that God will never leave you. 
His presence goes with you. His presence dwells inside of you. That this intimacy, this presence we have with God, it's not something reserved for some other kind of Christian, but it's something that we can experience as well. If you wanna make a difference in this world, if you want God to use you to bring hope into a weary world this year as we wrap up 2020, I need you to recognize that that same favor, that same presence of God Mary had with her is available for you. It goes on this way in the text. It says in verse 31, it says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord will be with him and give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever and his kingdom or the, his kingdom will never end. So I've talked about in the sermon that God might wanna use you to bring hope into a weary world. God might wanna use you to do something spectacular in this world. God might wanna use you to change the world and leave a legacy and do something mighty in our time. And yet, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm talking about. You see, sometimes I stand in front of groups of people, whether it's teenagers or young adults or the entire church, and I say things like, God wants you to do something spectacular and God's gonna do great things through your life. And what we get into our minds is, okay, God's gonna have me speak on a platform in front of thousands of people. Or God's gonna have me in a political office where I have power over a nation or over a state. Or God's gonna give me influence. I'm gonna have millions of followers on social media and whatever I say, they'll respond to. But I wanna point out really clearly in this text that that's not the call that God has on Mary's life. It's not the call he has on her life at all. If you look to this, it doesn't say that God's gonna use Mary in mighty ways so he props her up as a leader or gives her wealth or fame or power. No, it's none of those things. What you'll see is if you look back to verse 31 is this. He says, you will conceive. And what's she gonna do? She's gonna give birth to a son. She'll give birth to a son. This is the sermon about how God changed the world through Mary, and what does Mary do? She gives birth to a son. Now, now here's what, what, what I'll let you know. Um, for, for my family, my, my wife has been pregnant four times, um, and, and I've shared um, from this stage a number of times that the, the two of those times, we, we never got to meet the child. We, we, we lost the child. But two of those times, we, we were able to deliver beautiful and healthy babies. And, and both of those times, I had the privilege of being in the room. And um, here's what I'll tell you. It is just so remarkable to see this child being born and to remember, like, this is a superpower women have, to be able to, like, bring another human being into this world. And you're seeing this child come in and take the child's first breath for my daughter, for my son. And I'll tell you, it was a beautiful moment. But... but but I think we would all confess, if you've been in the room for that, it's not always a pretty moment. Like it's a beautiful moment. It is absolutely heart-wrenching. It is this beautiful emotional moment that I'll never forget the birth of my children. But I want us to always remember that a beautiful moment doesn't always mean it's a pretty moment. Like, like I wanna point out to you that, that when this happens, like this is a painful moment, right? And any woman who's given birth knows this, that it is painful to bring a child into the world. It's uncomfortable to bring a child into the world. You, you think of the last couple months of pregnancy and for my wife, just how uncomfortable it was just to do the basic things of life. You, you think about how messy it is, how painful it is, how uncomfortable it is. And that's the assignment that God gives to Mary. A messy, 
uncomfortable and painful assignment that brings Jesus into this world, that brings hope and salvation to all of us. And, and, and I think this is worth us remembering and considering as we consider how God might use us to do spectacular things in this world. Here's how I wanna phrase it to you today. If you want God to use you, you need to embrace the messy, uncomfortable, and painful parts of life. Again, God's gonna use Mary in a spectacular way, but it's not this pretty, easy, glorious road for her. It is messy, it is uncomfortable, it is painful. And if you want to be used by God, you have got to embrace those parts of life. And let me tell you this, almost everyone I know, even Christians, runs away from these parts of life. When there's messy people in our life, our natural inclination is to run away and create distance between messy people who have messy pasts. That's our natural inclination. But if you want God to use you, you've gotta lean into situations and people that are messy. If you want God to use you, you've gotta lean into uncomfortable moments. So many of us spend all of our life trying to make sure we're never in an uncomfortable situation where things are relationally kind of weird between a family member or a colleague or a neighbor. We avoid the uncomfortable. But if you want God to use you, you've got, you have to start to embrace the uncomfortable moments, saying this is what God's called me to in this moment. And, and the most human beings, e even many people who follow Jesus, tend to run away from the painful parts of life the painful parts of life where you actually have to give up and sacrifice and serve, where you have to take a phone call late at night that you didn't wanna take, where you have to step into a moment that you would rather have avoided, the painful parts of life until you embrace that. God's not gonna use you in spectacular ways. See, if you want God to use you, if you want hope to be brought into the world through you, you, like Mary, have got to embrace the messy, the uncomfortable, and the painful parts of this world because there is no other way that God uses his servants to bless and serve the world. That there's no route where God uses you in spectacular ways and you never have to go through messy, uncomfortable, painful situations. That's the route God has prescribed. That's the route God gives to Mary. So the angel makes his announcement and then Mary responds in this way in verse 34. She says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? She goes, I I'm a virgin. And she's looking at the angel going, I don't mean to doubt you here, but, but I'm just telling you, this isn't possible. This will never work out. You don't understand. Like this, I, I get this. this is, I, I can't possibly be pregnant. And yet you're telling me I'm going to bear a son. How can this be since I'm a virgin? This is the question Mary asks. And perhaps it's the question you're asking. Okay, how can this be? I get this whole idea that God could use anyone, but how could it be with me? I'm a stay-at-home mom that doesn't have much opportunities with the outside world. I'm young. I don't really have that many connections. I'm not that wealthy. I don't really have ability to shape anything. I'm not powerful. How can this be, we ask? And here's the answer in verse 35. Here's the answer to your question, how could God possibly use me? Here it is. Verse 35, it says, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the one to be born will be called the Son of God, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child at her old age, and she who said, was said to be unable to conceive is in the sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. You see, Mary goes, how can this be? And we ask a similar question. And whatever the thing is that you think, God can never use me because of this, because of my past, because of my weakness, because of my lack of something, we ask the same question Mary does. And here's the way we tend to ask this question. Here's the question. 
how could one person really make a difference in the world? And that's a fair question. Because when you look in the mirror and you see yourself, when you honestly assess yourself, you realize how inadequate you are, how small you are, how weak you are compared to all the problems in this world, all the things that are going on. If you're anything like me, you've sat in front of people who are weeping, who are hurting, who are in pain, whose lives have been devastated. And you go, how could I possibly help this person? In what way could me and all of my weakness and all of my lack of ability possibly do anything? You see, we ask the same question Mary asked. How could one person really make a difference? How could God, how could you use someone like me? And there's a really clear answer in the text. In the text, it says, the the angel says to Mary, the Holy Spirit of God will come on you. So like, what's the question? How could one person really make a difference in this world? Here's your answer. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Like the Christian belief is that when you give your life to Jesus, you are reborn and the Holy Spirit of God dwells within you. The idea isn't that you just know God, it's that God himself dwells in your bones. It's that God lives inside of you. He animates you and gives you power, this powerful energy that works inside of you. I wanna be so clear on this. This is not the sermon where I say, you're really great and you're really spectacular and if you try hard enough, you can change the world. That would be a nice sermon and it would be an encouraging talk. It just wouldn't be biblical because the biblical storyline is not, you're really awesome and in and of yourself, you can go make a difference in this world. No, the biblical storyline isn't that you are really awesome and can make a difference in this world. The biblical story is that God is really awesome and the Holy Spirit of God dwells in your bones. And if the Holy Spirit of God dwells in your bones, you can make a difference in your family, you can make a difference in your community, you can bring hope into a world, into a culture, into a nation that is in desperate, desperate need of it. Why am I confident that every single person listening to this live stream this weekend can make a difference in this world? Because when the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you, nothing is impossible. No thing in this world is beyond your reach. No thing in this world is beyond your capacity to serve and to help and to bring the hope and good news of Jesus to those who desperately, desperately need it. Here's how the text ends for us today in verse 38. This is Mary's reply. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So how does Mary respond? She knows, how could I possibly do this? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit of God is going to come upon you. The Holy Spirit of God is going to be with you. And so she just replies, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word be fulfilled. Like if everything God said he's gonna do is going to happen, I'm in on this. Like in other words, Mary says yes. Mary says yes to what God has for her. Mary says yes to the call God has put on her life. Mary says yes to the thing God wants to do, even though it is messy and painful and uncomfortable. Mary says yes. And then what happens? Well, here's what's wild. Uh, A month later, has the world changed? No, not really. Mary's just a month pregnant. Six months later, has the world changed? Well, not really. Mary's just pregnant still. A year later, has the world changed? No, she she has a three-month-old baby. 10 years later, she has a 10-year-old son. 20 years later, she has a 20-year-old son. But then what happens 30 years later? 33 years later, Jesus begins his ministry and he teaches about the kingdom of heaven and he teaches about people's need for God and how God has sent his son into the world to seek and save the lost. 
That same Jesus is arrested and put on trial and sentenced to death and will ultimately hang on a cross to suffer and die for the sins of the world. And on that cross, Jesus bleeds and dies for your sins and for mine. And when that penalty is paid, he cries out, it is finished. Sin and death and hell for all of those who would trust in him. It is finished, it is no more. And then that same Jesus would be laid into a grave and risen up from the dead. That same Jesus would ascend to the Father in heaven and he is seated there until he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead. Here's Mary, she says yes. But here's the wild thing about Mary's yes. Mary's yes doesn't result in the world being changed tomorrow. Mary's yes results in decades and decades and decades of everything looking the same until in a moment, God raises Jesus from the dead and unleashes a gospel into this world that changes human history. All because Mary said yes. And that's the invitation for us today to say yes to God and then to have the patience, to have the wherewithal to see that God is going to use our obedience in the long haul to change the world. And again, it's not that God's gonna use all of our talents and all of our strength and all of our money. It's not that God is primarily interested in people who look like they can change the world. No, God's interested in a different kind of person. See, here's what I wanna observe in closing. Can you note that Mary had no power She wasn't a powerful, strong woman who had a big following or some sort of political might. Mary had no money. She wasn't rich. She wasn't well known for the money she had accumulated. She had no power. She had no money. She had no influence. This isn't Mary, the person who was on the cover of all the magazines or talked about throughout the empire. This was Mary. They had to even describe where her town was because no one had ever heard of it. And Mary had no fame. No one knew her. No one cared about her. Mary had no power, no money, no influence, no fame, and yet God uses this woman to change the course of human history by bringing Jesus into this world. And why does God use this woman? The eyes of the Lord are going to and fro and throughout the earth looking for someone like Mary, looking for someone like Mary who had a humble heart, who had a humble heart, who was willing to say yes, who was willing to say yes to what God wanted, was willing to humble herself before the Lord and say, whatever you say, here's how she says it, I am the Lord's servant, may your word be fulfilled. And here's what I know, God's still looking for people like that. God's still looking for people who want to be used in that kind of way. And the reason I know that is because there's a promise, a thread that runs throughout the whole Bible. This sentence is said in different ways and in different tones, but here's the phrase we see in James chapter four and verse 10. It's said this way in the scriptures. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Listen, the great command in the Bible isn't usually be humble. It isn't have a bunch of humility. That's said occasionally, but more often than not, it's a verb, humble yourself. Say what Mary said, I'm the Lord's servant. Whatever you wanna do, God, you get to do in my life. When you humble yourself before the Lord, then he will exalt you. Then he'll use you in great ways. So I began today with a question and I wanna end with a question that answers it. And here's what it is. How do you get used by God? How do you get used by God to bring hope into a weary world? How do you get used by God to bring hope and healing into your hurting family, into your hurting community, into a nation that's desperate for healing? How do we get used by God? How do you get used by God? And here's the simple answer we see from Mary's story and the rest of the scripture. Simple answer, you humble yourself. You humble yourself. 
You get down on your knees before the Lord and you say, God, whatever you wanna do with my life, do it. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. You pray, you read the scriptures. When you do that, you're humbling yourself saying, God, I need you more than ever. You serve and you give and you sacrifice and say, God, my life is not my own. It was bought with a price. It's all yours in the first place. You get into a relationship with hurting people, messy people, uncomfortable situations, even painful situations. You humble yourself. And when you humble yourself like Mary, God uses you to do spectacular things in this world. Calvary, may that be true of us this Christmas. May that be true of us as we go into a new year. May we, like Mary, declare, I am the Lord's servant, and your word to me will be fulfilled. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the story of Mary. I thank you for this woman who humbled herself and said yes to your call. I thank you for her patience and for her grace, and I thank you for the way she is an example to all of us of what it means to be a faithful person of God in the midst of everything. Help us to do the same Help us to have the same kind of faith and courage and humility that says yes to you, whatever it means. God, may you use us in all of our weakness and all of our shortcomings this December to bring hope into a world that seems to desperately need it more than ever. God, use us, we pray in Christ's name, amen.